thank you guys for being here today. You know, there's nothing like being in the presence of God's people. And one of the things that we do here at Heights that's a little bit different, if you've never been here before, is we go through the Bible in five years period of time. And the way we do that is that we have a schedule of reading that you can get over at the information desk. And that schedule has the entire readings for all of the year. So that we read Monday through Saturday the same scriptures together. And then on Sunday... Our sermon is based in whole or in part uh, from those scriptures that we've read. The other way that we can keep up with our reading is we have a YouTube channel. And that YouTube channel has devotionals based upon our scripture readers. We read the entirety of the scripture portion we're supposed to read. But add a little bit more to help make a daily practical, uh, you know, uh, influencing your own life, right? So we apply the scriptures to understand it better so that we can walk like Jesus on a daily basis, right? And then again, on Sunday, we still break down these scriptures in whole or in part here. Um, and that's what we're doing. So we just started the book of Deuteronomy this past week. One person. Woo! Okay. So we read Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 6. How many of you read Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 6? Sweet. Quite a few of you. Um, and that's awesome because there's a lot in there. The first half of our readings this week were all about remembering what had happened before, how God had brought them out of Egypt and, and had brought them into this land and kind of recounts really step by step. This is where we've been over these last 40 years after we've come out of Egypt, after God has brought us to this place and we're on the precipice of entering into the land of promise. Uh, the last half started changing its focus. It started talking about now, this, these are the things that you're supposed to do because I've brought you to this place. And this is where we're going to focus our attention today in a sermon that is titled, The Apologetic God. Now, seems like a strange title so, so for some of you who might not understand the idea of an apologetic God isn't a God who's going around saying, I'm sorry all the time. Okay? You're not reading all this on chapters 4, 5, and 6. You don't see saying, God, sorry, that, that whole serpent thing, my bad. No, no, you don't see God doing anything like that. What you see when we talk about apologetics, apologetics is the defense, the rational defense of one's beliefs. Okay? It's the defense of our faith. It's, it's based historically, scientifically, and rationally. And what we're going to find is that the God who exists is an apologetic God. He's left a footprint. He's left a, a thumbprint, a fingerprint of his activities in this world. And he uses that as the foundation for which the people of Israel are supposed to order their lives. And we're going to look at that together because this is what God depends upon all throughout this passage of Scripture. When he hearkens back, and you're going to see this not just here, but all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. So you're going to see it continually hearkening back to these apologetic moments. Because the apologetic moments that point out that God is who he says he is, is the reference for why Israel should do the things God has commanded. Okay, well, we're going to look at that together. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to be in chapters 4, 5, and 6 today of Deuteronomy. Um, and so I want you guys to take a look as we go down to verse 32 of chapter 4 as we get this started to see what God has said. 
And he says this, ask now about the former days, long before your time. From the day God created man on the earth, ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation? By testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring to you, bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. So this is the precursor of God saying this is why you should be following me. And here's the reasons why has anybody ever heard of a people who have heard from the voice of God from within the fire and lived the this hearkening right here is back to an experience that all the people of Israel were there to witness together a a historical moment if you will and it's recorded in the scripture for us because when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt he took them to Mount Sinai and at Mount Sinai this is where the Ten Commandments are given and while he is there and he's consecrating the people before the Lord back in Exodus chapter 20 at the beginning of the Ten Commandments it says this And God spoke all these words. And if you'll remember, when we were back in Exodus and we were going over this passage of Scripture specifically, one of the things I pointed out to you, and you can go back and read in context, God is speaking to all the people. They had gathered around the mountain. The mountain is fire and smoke and billowing, and people are like supposed to come to it holy and consecrated before the Lord. And God speaks from the mountain the Ten Commandments. God spoke the Ten Commandments. All the people heard it. It wasn't just Moses. And notice their reaction at the end of that. So after the Ten Commandments are spoken, in verse 18 it says this, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. They heard his voice and they were like, we can't, no, Moses, you go and talk to God. We'll stay here. 
But if we hear his voice, we're going to die. And there's this moment that we're seeing in Deuteronomy 4 where there's this remembrance. Do you remember what happened back then? Do you remember you approached the mountain and you heard the voice of God? And who can hear the voice of God and yet live? And yet you did live. And God did this. He's testing you because he doesn't want you to sin. He wants you paying attention to all of his words. What were the words that came out of his mouth? All the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the foundation stone by which the moral law of the people of Israel was set forth. This is how I want you to base your relationship with one another and with me through these Ten Commandments. And I'm speaking to you myself. So when you get the tablets from Moses that echo these same things, you heard it from God's mouth first. And Moses is reminding them of this moment. Because they've been wandering for 40 years. And in that period of time, I I hate to tell you, memories fade. Experiences that you and I have witnessed and been a part of dim. They don't hit us as hard as they did at that moment in time. We sometimes get that nostalgic twist, right? We go to certain places or hear certain music or, or smell certain smells. It brings us back just for a moment to those places and it gives us a greater memory of something that actually happened but at that time it was so vivid you guys remember that all of you know what I'm talking about right and so this is there as a reminder for the people because God did these things and brought you out of Egypt and took you as a nation from another nation And he showed you all these miracles and signs and wonders. And he did this to show you that there was no other God but him. And because that is so, and you heard his voice yourself, these commands, these decrees that come from God, you ought to do because he is. You ought to do because he is. chapter 5 we see the same reiteration in Deuteronomy as he continues on because guess what chapter 5 is it's a repeat of the 10 commandments so we see chapter 4 is a remembrance of what happened when the 10 commandments were given and chapter 5 is the the reiteration of these 10 commandments and after that after the 10 commandments are given These words are said, it says, these are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. And we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us. And we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speak out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whether the Lord our God tells, whatever the Lord our God tells you, we will listen and obey. 
The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go tell them to return to their tents. But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands and decrees and laws you were to teach them and to follow in the land that I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. To not turn aside to walk to the right or the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. So that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So we see the motivation for the law that's given to the people of Israel. God shows himself holy. He shows himself. So I am real. I have shown myself as real. I've shown you signs and wonders. You have heard my voice out of the holy fire. And you have seen the very words that I have spoken to you engraved on tablets of stone taken down from the mountain by my very finger. This is an apologetic argument. These are artifacts that you can look at to know that this happened. You can go back and remember these things because you were a part of these things. You remember being there at that time when these things happened. Undeniably, this is historical fact. And God's reminding the people of that. And he says, and I showed myself to you in that way. That I might be revered, that you would know that there's no other God but me. That you might fear me and regard me as holy. And, and why? What's the motivation behind this? And I think it's found most eloquently in verse 29 of chapter 5 where it says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. And keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Do you notice that the reason why God wants the people of Israel to fear him is not so that he can proclaim his grace. That it might go well with the people. That's what he wants. I want what is best for them. The reason I reveal myself in all my glory is so that they would understand that the ways in which I am telling them to live, to orient their lives, to honor me in all things is so that it will go well with them. That they may live a long life on the earth and not just bless them, but bless their children. Bless them always. That's God's word. That's God's intention. That the fear of God would come upon them. And when we read fear of God, in the scripture, so many times, I think that, that we read it wrong. We, we think of a, a terrifying type of thing. The, the idea that we would be so afraid and it would force us to do certain things. And in reality, the idea of fear is this idea of respect, of honor. This idea that, that recognizing the, the immense responsibility of handling the name of God 
the relationship with God properly. Because if we don't handle it properly, we cause all types of problems. The, the more important stuff that you do, and I know I've mentioned Dave, Dave works with electricity. You don't work with electricity well, bad things happen. You have to respect it. You have to fear it. There has to be a fear. Not a fear that incapacitates you and say, I can't work with electricity. It's a fear that says, nope, I've got to deal with this right. If I don't deal with this right, very bad things can happen. This is the type of fear that God wants for the people. If they don't understand me right, bad things are going to happen. If they take me nonchalantly, bad things are going to happen. If they think they can profane my name, bad things are going to happen. If they think they don't have to honor me, bad things are going to happen. You know why? Because I want to bless them. I want to bless them and their children that they may live long in the place that I'm going to give them forever. That's the intention. We hear it all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Unfortunately, we also know that Israel is a stiff-necked people. And they would forfeit much of this blessing that God wants to give them. Because they think that just obeying him and fearing him and respecting him as he ought to be is an optional thing for them to do. It's optional in that they have the free will to disregard it. But in doing so, they also disregard the blessing that God wants to give. And so he shows himself as real. So they would recognize that the God that they're serving is not some sort of myth or genie that you rub from a bottle that grants you magical wishes. But he's appeared to them and he's broken into history that you and I can look at the footprints and the and the. And the little placements that he has shown himself to be. And he hearkens back to these historic events of the leaving of Egypt, of the parting of the Red Sea, of the miracles that are happening there all along the way. He says, test me. You know that I did this for you or I witnesses to these things. This is why I am God and there is no other. And this is why you serve me. That I may bless you, but there's no other God. I've shown myself to be real in history. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 6, it says this, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he's commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So when your sons come up and ask you, 
Why do you do this? You hearken back to these historical events, these things in which God has broken in to this world to make himself known. We were slaves under Pharaoh, and God, with a mighty hand, brought us out of slavery and into the land of promise that he promised the descendants long ago to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, the promised land that they were going to come back in. These are historical promises, not fanciful ones. That we can go back and look and see how God has acted in history. These are big things. These aren't small. There should be something that gives us confidence that these accounts are true. For those of you who may never have watched these before, a few years back there were these series of movies that came out that are called Patterns of Evidence. And one is focused on the exodus because guess what? If God did this miraculous thing that is proclaimed throughout the word of God, guess what you and I should be able to see? Evidence of those miraculous happenings recorded somewhere in history. Now I would encourage you guys to take an opportunity to go watch that documentary. It's really well done. It speaks with, they speak with all types of archaeologists that are out there. These aren't fanciful people. These are people who are experts in their field. You can make your own conclusions about what the evidence purports to say. I tend to believe concerning that evidence that is out there, that it lines up pretty good with the Bible. I mean, like really, really, really good. Almost like God really did enter into history. He really did say those things to the people of Israel. They can't hold on to those promises as a, as a result of that because we have an apologetic God who has left fingerprints of himself all over the place. And the two great places in which we see God break into history because the deliverance from Egypt from the people of Israel coming out and becoming their own nation. This whole area of what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, are, is the establishment of Israel and their existence. Everything from Joshua all the way to Malachi goes back to these five books based upon the God who has revealed himself to them over and over again as this God who delivered them from Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh. Real historical events that you can go back and look on. The second one, the second time in history that we can look back and see the fingerprints of God all over the place is in the person of Jesus Christ. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Because we see God breaking in to history again. Not as a, uh, as a God leading a people out of a country. But as a God invading this world to save us from sin. By sending his son. By fulfilling the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Jesus Christ. And when we look at the gospel writers, when we look at the New Testament, they're writing as if we're talking about historical, apologetic, verifiable, historical, scientific, logical fact. Take a look with me in 1 John chapter 1. First four verses open like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. What is he saying? We're telling you about things we saw, we heard. We witnessed with our own eyes. We've touched with our own hands. We're telling you about real history, about God invading this world through Jesus Christ. This is what we're proclaiming to you. Beginning of Luke starts the same way. First four verses of Luke, it says this. Many have undertaken... To draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty certainty of the things that you have been taught. See, what Luke is saying is saying, you know, we believe in Jesus and these are the things that you've been taught. But I've gone back carefully to make sure that the things that you and I believe are true. And this is the account of that. Here is my research. You don't realize it, but Luke, Luke's gospel is an apologetic gospel. It is based upon his going out and trying to find, this is what I found. This is what I've investigated. This is what was told to me, but I went and found out for myself concerning these things that have been taught to us. So now I'm sharing this with you so that, notice what he says to Theophilus, so that you may have confidence in the things that you've believed. In other words, I went, I researched, I found out it wasn't a lie. That's a pretty amazing statement, don't you think? That's how his statement starts. Dude, imagine the rest of the gospel. Read it for yourself. Just saying. His second volume is Acts. He starts it in much the same way. It's a really interesting way that he says it, though. First three verses of Acts start this way. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There's a couple of very interesting statements at the beginning of this, right? Number one, this is the second of a two-volume work. That's kind of cool, right? Luke is volume one. Acts is volume two. Pretty cool, right? But then he says this very strange phrase. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You guys know how Luke ends, right? Luke ends with Jesus, with his disciples going up into heaven. This is where Acts begins, by the way. But he says that, that was just the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know why it's only the beginning of what he began to do and teach? Anybody? Jesus is still alive. He died. He rose again. We're here today because why? 
We believe Jesus is alive, right? That someday he's taking us with him. He has sent the Holy Spirit to you and I as confirmation, as a seal of our redemption. We're like, we're ready, Jesus. When we pray, who are we praying to? We're praying to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're praying to Jesus, right? Anything you ask in my name, that I will do, right? Isn't that what we hear Jesus promised to you and me? This is why Luke can write, that's the first volume. This is the second. It was only the beginning of all that Jesus began to do. Pretty cool, huh? And what we get is a, an account of the early church so meticulously kept. It, it's really amazing to me because there was an archaeologist by the name of Sir William Ramsey who went out to all the places that Luke had talked about in his, in his gospel and in Acts. And he was like, I am going there specifically to go excavate because he was so meticulous in all the things that he wrote about. I'm going to go out there and prove that this is wrong. Spent a lifetime going out there trying to prove the Bible wrong. An archaeologist so what are we talking about? We're talking about apologetic evidence, aren't we? This is historical evidence. So he goes out there with all of this bias against the Bible. And he digs and he looks and he uses as a guide the word of God. And every place he looks, he finds exactly as it said. Which leads him to a conclusion toward the end of his life that says that Luke is a historian of the first rank. Think about that. A historian. He didn't call him a believer. He called him a historian. He recorded the evidence of history And the things that he writes about definitively, they were there because I went and I looked and they were there. Because we have a God who's left his fingerprints everywhere. And it's the reason why you and I can believe. It's the reason why you and I follow Jesus. It's the reason why we are followers of Christ because the evidence of Christ leads us to believe in Jesus and the things that are there. The commands come because of who he is, not because I can make myself righteous before God. Nobody's righteous before God. Not you, not me, not anybody. That's why Jesus had to come and die. But he's revealed himself to show himself the one true God that deserves our allegiance because those who believe that God is must believe that he is and he's the rewarder of those who who seek after him. That's what you and I are supposed to be. And those of us who say, that is the one true God, I have seen that. I've seen the evidence for it, not just talking about what's in the Bible, but the Bible being an accurate testimony leads me to believe that those things written about Jesus and eternal life and what it means to be a a person who lives righteously before God do so because the God that we serve is real and not fake like everybody else's. It's the one true God. See, it's amazing to me how many skeptics go out and try and disprove God, come back believers. Simply because they look at the evidence and they realize that we serve an apologetic God. Could start with Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, not a believer in Christ. Challenged people on his college campuses. 
And when somebody came back and challenged him to research, if anybody has read any of uh, his material over the years, let me tell you, the man researches like nobody's business. And his research leads him to the understanding that Jesus really is Lord. And he's probably one of the best apologists we've had in our generation. Or take Lee Strobel. You guys can look at the case for Christ. How many of you read the book? How many of you have watched the movie? If you've never done either one, I'd encourage you to do both. Because it's his journey. And you know what he's doing? He's going out to try and disprove Jesus because his wife has changed and given her life to Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to disprove Jesus so that we don't have to follow this in our family. And all the evidence that he accumulates over two years period of time brings him to the conclusion that Jesus really is real. He invaded this world and he is exactly who he says he is. Or or take J. Warner Wallace. If any of you have read the book Cold Case Christianity, any of you? One, good job. Um, J. Warner Wallace, cold case detective, not a believer in Christ started investigating the gospels under the lens he's like i'm a cold case detective i can look at the gospel accounts and i can look at those four gospel accounts and use my cold case detective work to prove whether or not jesus is lord dang it he came out a christian too I know, and he's written other books, forensic faith and, and other things that, that have that same, that same attention to detail as a cold case detective. These are people who went out and sought evidence for the living God and came back understanding that Jesus is Lord. We have an apologetic God who hasn't hidden himself in a corner, but has broken into history so visibly, so understandably visibly, that people can go out, do the research, and see his fingerprints everywhere, and they keep coming to the conclusion again and again and again that these words are true. That this account is real. That he is God, and that there is no other. And because he is God, and that there is no other, the result of that should be you and me saying, if he's real, if he's really done these things, then I should follow him. Not because I have anything to add. I don't have anything to add. What can I add? He created me. He he sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. What do I have to add? I follow him because God wants things to go well with us. He sent his son so that they might so that we might have eternal life. All who might believe in him because he represents what reality is. He can tell you why sin and sickness and death and this world being as bad as it is is the way that it is. You know why? Because he not only created the world, saw what was wrong with it he has given the prescription of how it is healed and it's through the blood of christ nothing else nothing else no other belief will save you nothing you know why because that is the god who is when you and i understand that in reality 
it makes a difference on how you and I live, no matter how the rest of the world is living. We go back again and again to these apologetic arguments to realize that God has broken into this world. That's what he appealed to the people of Israel. You saw these things. These things show you what I did for you. You know these are historical events that happen. Who has ever seen any of these happen? Nobody. But you got to see them. And you tell your children about it. And they need to tell their children. You know why? Because I want to bless you. For following me. Not because you're greater than everybody else. Simply because I am. And because I am. And this is the nature of who I am. The God who lives. The God who redeems. I can offer you a hope and a future. One that lasts forever with him in heaven. If. You truly believe that Jesus is Lord. If you believe that he is the God who is. Not the God you hope for. The God who's broken into history. And shown himself to be true. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Would you stand with me? At the, end of God, at the end of John's gospel, John writes these words because he gives the reasons for which he included all the things he wrote down. There's a purpose for his writing. And we went over that not that long ago as a church together. But this was the precursor. This was his thesis of why he wrote what he wrote. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, the God who broke into history wants a relationship with you that lasts forever. But it comes by you recognizing that he is God and you are not. That he died for your sins and my sins, the things that we did wrong. So that he can make us right before God. So that you and I could have an opportunity to know this Jesus, not just now, but forever. That's what he wants for every single one of us. If you don't know this God, I pray that you'll come to know this God. If you aren't convinced of this God, then you owe it to yourself to do the research. Because we have an apologetic God who has left his fingerprints everywhere for you to see. And then you'll come to know, I really believe that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, with all your strength? These promises are for you. And they are a great help in times where the world around us is going crazy. And that's our elders to come forward and just to be here for a prayer of any need that you guys have. Whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, if you want to know who Jesus is, we ask you guys to come forward. Uh, we've got Elizabeth and Dave over here, our prayer, our prayer warriors here, also to pray with you guys, any need that's up here. But walk away knowing this, Jesus is Lord and there is no other.
Jesus is Lord, there is no other, no matter what the world would tell you, because he's the only one in whom we see the fingerprints of God all over the course of history. God, thank you so much for today, this time that we have together and the reaffirmation that you are a God who has left your fingerprints everywhere for the people of Israel so they might follow you and know that you are God for us as believers in Christ to see that ultimate fulfillment in the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection and his promised return and we look forward to that oh God and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would renew our conviction of you so that we might live for you that we would see you as the ultimate reality and in doing so oh God that it would conform our lives to be changed according to your Holy Spirit and you transforming us to be more and more like Jesus. Not because you're just wanting to rain on our parade, but because you want what is good for us and righteous and holy and that which Jesus transforms us into to be pleasing and glorifying to you. Help us, oh God, to live up to the moniker of being your people, people known by your name, because you are the God who is and there is no other. In Jesus' name, amen.